John 15, verses 18 through John 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who, who sent me. If you had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And, al and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will... They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, and when their hour comes, you may remember that I told, you, I told them of you. Thank you, Hannah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you teach us as we consider these words, this ancient book that we call the Bible, inspired by your very spirit, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been studying our way, preaching our way through the gospel according to John. Um, we've entitled this series through John, Walking with Jesus. Um, because it's a fairly long journey, it's a long book. We've been at it for, I've lost track, almost a year now something like that. It will have been a year by the time we're done. Um, and I think as a church, my hope is that in a way it's kind of forcing us, helping us to slow down, um, to process through some things that um, may be difficult, may be challenging, very encouraging as, as we learn to to walk with Jesus, go through life 
with Jesus. And this is what John is inviting us to. We're not just uh, thinking about some old words and stories and, you know, think, yeah, it's curious. That's bizarre. What's for lunch? Now, the invitation is that we would enter into the story and we would experience what it actually feels like, what life is really like getting to know Jesus and experiencing the life that he, that he promises anyone who would who trust him, who would come to believe that he is who he claimed to be. We trust him, we would obey him, and we would experience a relationship with God, the Father, in the way that he did. And this is where we experience uh, the life that we are created for, what scripture elsewhere refers to as new life. So that's what we've been doing for the last month or so. Uh, we've been talking all about love. Uh, we've been in the upper room. Um, in fact, we're still in what we call the upper room, this, this little private meeting that Jesus is having with his, his disciples, his friends, on the eve of his crucifixion. And um, Jesus has been going on and on and on about how he wants his disciples to, to continue the work that he has started, this mission of sacrificial love. And he's, he's issued the commandment uh, three times, in fact, I want you to love one another the way that I've loved you. Lay your lives down for one another. And he goes on like this for, well, we, we were at it for about a month. And now, slight, slight pivot, slight shift in focus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I've entitled my message this morning, I rarely do this, but I couldn't resist. I've entitled my message, Why Hate Christians and How to Love Well to the End. It's ironic, if we consider the context, that um, after Jesus has gone uh, to great lengths to cast this vision of sacrificial love, I want you to lay your lives down for one another. And, this is, and, and, and as you do this, you're going to demonstrate to the world what my love is like. And they'll know that you're my disciples. There'll be something glorious and beautiful and provocative about this love that you're meant to embody and experience and share with the world. And the world's gonna hate you for it. That's um, weird bizarre, confusing, sacrificial love, and violent hatred. He says, remember the word that I spoke to you. Um, He says, a servant isn't greater than his master. He's actually referencing this in John 13. This is back when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples. And his disciples are kind of confused, slightly offended by the whole thing that their, their teacher Rabbi Jesus would humble himself in that way. And then he makes the statement, the servant isn't greater than his master, so I want you to do what I'm I'm modeling for you now. Humble yourselves and serve one another in this way. So that's, that's the reference. And he says, remember, remember what I told you. The servant isn't greater than his master. So now he's saying, if you're going to love like me, if you're going to serve like me, 
you will be hated like me. And the connection's now explicit. Sacrificial love somehow is going to result in violent hatred as the world looks on. So this is a paradoxical, controversial to say the very least. Love like Jesus and you will be hated like Jesus. What do we do with that? Why would people hate truly loving people? Why did people hate Jesus? Why did people want to kill Jesus ultimately? Let me ask you this way. What should or shouldn't Christians be hated for? Let's, let's start there first. What is Jesus talking about? What exactly about uh, this sort of sacrificial love is meant to uh, provoke hatred from the world? What should or shouldn't Christians be hated for? Or what was Jesus, what was Jesus not hated for? Let's start there. Because this, is, this, is, this can be very um, slippery, very, very slippery, depending upon the kind of person you are. What was Jesus not hated for? Let's, let's start there. Um, without going all the way back to John chapter one, verse one, um, I think we can, we can think together. Let's reason together for a moment. Uh, for sure, Jesus was not hated for his hypocrisy. For sure, I challenge you. Find one moment where Jesus was just being a big old hypocrite. Didn't happen, didn't happen. Jesus was definitely not hated for his bigotry or arrogance. Nope, that's not why people hated Jesus. Jesus was not hated Um, for his elitism or this attitude that somehow kept elevating him above others, making himself above others because somehow he was Messiah, he was king. He was the master. Therefore, he had the right to talk to others as if they were somehow less than, how their sin was more gross than his if he had any. Jesus never treated people that way. In fact, now this might be really controversial, but I would argue that Jesus never did anything that wasn't motivated by love. Is that fair? I mean, even like the really hard stuff. Everyone likes to talk, well, what about when he was cracking the whip and flipping tables? Love, love, love. And we could go on. Um, Why did people hate Jesus then? Well, he actually tells us in verses 22 and 24, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father. And in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. 
There was something about the words and actions of Jesus that exposed the sin of people and therefore they hated him for it. It's very clear. Jesus, in his loving words and actions, exposed the sin of the people around him, the sin of the world. And we don't like that. No one likes that. I would say that, um, that it was the, uh, the prophetic ministry of Jesus. Let me sort of unpack, unpack that word a little bit. Normally when we hear the word prophetic or prophecy, we think about like, oh, someone's like a, you know, foretelling the future or something like that. And I suppose you could use the word in that way. It would be more accurate to think of the prophetic ministry of Jesus as the way he spoke and acted that led people to be confronted with the, the state of their heart, the condition of society, the, the state of the system. Jesus, the way he engaged people and talked about the vision of his father for creation, it led people to re- rethink how they were living their lives. And, and he was constantly challenging people to, to really consider the state of their hearts. Most of the people that Jesus had the most severe words for were really quite devoutly religious people. Um, the Pharisees, the lawyers and experts of the law, like very religious people. Um, And I think it's all too easy just to pick on those religious people. Um, I think, I suspect that a lot of the people that Jesus was confronting, those devoutly religious people, probably weren't all unlike us. We're at church, we're sitting in pews, (laughs) probably trying to be good people. And yet the way Jesus would begin to engage normal people, religious people, he would confront the motives of the heart. Why are you doing this? Why are you concerned about that? Why are you so quick to point out the splinter in another's eyes when you've got this massive log protruding out of yours? Why are you constantly challenging me and, and trying to find a way to work around sort of the the commandments such that you're technically fulfilling some sort of sense of ethical code or religious expectation, but really failing to actually be honest about what's going on in your heart. And this is, I mean, this is us. For sure this is us. We do this. And Jesus in his prophetic ministry will begin to speak and to act in ways that actually expose the deep motives of the human heart. And we don't like it. There's no way around it, guys. This is a hard teaching. Okay, we, we, we're still talking about love, but this is the other side of love. This is the hard stuff. Jesus, in his words, in his actions, exposed the sins of the people around him. And that's what he does. Oh, he's so loving. He's so loving to do that. And it's so hard. 
Um, now, what does one do with that? Well, you could do a lot of things with that. You, you could use that as an excuse um, to go around sort of wielding truth like it's some sort of a weapon to like mow people who don't agree with you down. Um, you can do a lot of damage actually with this idea that like, well, Jesus, you know, he spoke the truth and he did the things and people hated him for it. So I guess if people hate me and never want to be around me and if I'm constantly offending people around me, then I must, I must be doing it right. I must be being just like Jesus. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Let's put it in a little context. John chapter eight, you guys will recall, this is just a classic example of how Jesus was interacting with a woman who was a caught in sin, let's put it that way, caught in adultery, sexual immorality, no disputing it. And then there were those who somehow caught her, it almost reads like a trap, and they bring this woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus, and they've all got rocks in their hands ready to stone this woman because according to the law, that's what should have happened. This is a famous story. The woman caught in adultery, and they bring her to Jesus. Ben, ben preached this message. It was great back in John chapter eight. And, uh, and you may know the story, but they say, Jesus, what do you say? What should we do with this sinner? He kneels down. He writes on the ground. No one knows what he's writing does it a couple times and eventually turns to the, 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 her accusers and he says, well, whoever is without sin, go ahead, throw your rock, you go first. Eventually they all drop their rocks, starting with the oldest one, they all eventually leave and we're left with just Jesus and the woman alone and he kneels down and he said, where did all your accusers go? Have none of them condemned you? And he says, nor do I. Now go and sin no more. So incredibly gentle. So incredibly gentle. Jesus is the savior, the friend of sinners, and the enemy of those holding stones. Um, I got my nine-year-old throwing knives for his birthday this year <laughs> because I'm a good dad. <laughs> so I know it sounds ridiculous. What kind of... Yeah, well, no, I, I was getting to that because I got tired of coming home and finding butter knives stuck into the dirt in my front yard. <laughs> and they're all bent up. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my boy throwing knives. So I got him a set of three throwing knives. And the rule was, I got his brother and his sister in on this. I said, you know what you could make Judah for his birthday is a target. Um, please make him a target. If you don't, I will, because <laughs> I want my family to live. And so they did, and it was great. And Judah got to be really, really good at throwing knives. Here's my point. When it comes to truth, we need to practice our aim. Jesus didn't just go throwing truth knives at anyone who crossed him, anyone who broke the law or got it wrong or weren't doing it right. 
He knew who he was talking to at all times and he knew what truth in love looked like in the moment. We must practice our aim. John chapter 11, this is um, the moment just after Lazarus was raised from the dead. In the book of John, there's seven miracles that sort of um, John kind of constructs his, his story around. The resurrection of Lazarus, Lazarus, is the seventh and final miracle that Jesus performs. And there's witnesses. Like the, the word goes viral. Pe- people were there. They saw it happen. Now everyone's beginning to hear about this, this undisputed miracle. Even Jesus' opponents are like, look, we, there's no denying that an actual miracle took place. And so they're discussing, what do we do? If, the, if word keeps spreading, eventually even the Romans will find out and they'll come and they'll take away our place and our nation. And so at that point, they decided to murder Jesus. Here's the point. When Jesus is confronting our hearts, exposing sinful motives that are always somehow connected to real actions, the way we relate with people. Sometimes the reason why we hate that Jesus does that is because he's messing with my little kingdom, my place, my little tower. Jesus is still in the business. God is still in the business of tearing down towers. You guys remember that story, the Tower of Babel? All the humans got together and they thought, let's build a tower. We'll make it, we'll ascend to the heavens and we'll make a name for ourselves. And God's like, nope, bad idea, real bad idea. I want you to ascend to heaven, but not apart from me. Autonomy was never the plan. Independence was never the plan. You deciding what's good and evil was never the plan. I'm the king, I'm your creator, I'm your good and loving father. You have been hardwired to flourish in life in relationship with me. So every time we start building a tower thinking, I will make a name for myself. I will decide, I will create my own identity. I will ascend to the heavens. Jesus comes along and begins to deal with our hearts and he exposes our motives these shabby little identities that we're piecing together for ourselves apart from our loving father. And Jesus is like, and he knocks down our tower. We're like, curse you, God. And it makes us mad. It makes us mad. Jesus confronts our tendency uh, to be our own God, to decide what's good and evil apart from our creator. Jesus is waging war on the kingdom of self. So those are some reasons why people hated Jesus. And when we, the followers of Jesus, love people, love one another, with our words and our actions in similar fashion, 
people might also hate us. I don't like that. I want people to like me all the time. Like a lot. But Jesus said, I want you to testify. In fact, when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll testify and you'll testify with him um, in partnership. I want you to be my witnesses and I want you to continue the work that I've done and I want you in word and action to embody this kind of love that will in fact be like a prophetic act and expose the sin of the world. And just in the same way, the, the hearts of the disciples were systematically and lovingly dealt with by Jesus himself. Now he's inviting us, his people, his disciples, his kids, the church, to continue participating in this great mission. Um, and there will be some real emotion involved. Not everyone's going to like you. In fact, some people might even hate you. Well, that is the promise. If they hated me, they will hate you. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. Lord, give us courage. Lord, give us courage. Lord, help us to practice aim. Help us not to start knifing each other's, knifing each other in the name of truth, forgetting that you are the savior of sinners and the enemy of those wielding stones. How do we keep loving well in a world that hates us. Last week, um, I preached a, just a banger of a sermon on love. <laughs> Some of you are nodding, like, ah, it was all right. No, I listened back to it, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was going on and on and on about sacrificial love, sacrificial love. You know, Jesus wants us to lay our lives down for one another and, 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 and even like love our enemies because that's how he's loved us. And it's just like this epic thing. And I get really excited about it. I'm like, what if we could be that kind of church? What would it look like? What would it cost? How amazing would it be? Da, 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 all this stuff. And you know what happened after everyone was gone last week? So I had a meeting right here. Um, my two boys were downstairs on their laptops waiting for me, and uh, a homeless person came to the building, which happens fairly regularly. We have a little community pantry down in the corner in the, the basement, and it's, it's looking a little, little depleted at the moment. At some point, we need to restock it, but we've got some toiletries there, some canned food, and, and anytime someone comes off the street, usually, you know, they, they'd like some cash, but like we literally don't have any cash in the building, and, and so I always say, look, do you need some food? You need some toiletries? A blanket? Some socks? Can I pray for you? I'd love to hear your story. Oftentimes people just want some like human interaction. And um, so I was talking to this woman. She was very sweet. And, uh, but I had a meeting that was just about to start. So, it, so we chatted for a minute. I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm going to just leave you to it. Uh, feel free to take as much as you need. Uh, the bathrooms are down the hall, so you know, if you want to get cleaned up, help yourself. Um, but I'm going to be upstairs, and you're very welcome to just see yourself out when you're done. Is that okay? Oh, that's okay. And they ended up stealing our, uh, our little Kid City check-in tablet. 
So fortunately, we have two. So I managed to get the, the backup working. Um, I was suffering big time for the sake of the gospel. You have no idea what a nightmare those little tablets are. But this woman, she robbed us. She took our food. I blessed her. And she robbed us. And I remember thinking, well, that's, isn't that nice? Didn't, didn't feel super compelled to pray, Lord, bless her. Oh, Lord, bless her. Didn't feel like doing good to her. Immediately started to think, man, I hope I see that lady. I've got, I've got something to say to her. And I do, to be honest with you. If I do see her, I absolutely will confront her. I think that'd be loving. But how do we keep loving in a world that hates us? As we attempt to do good to those who curse us, bless those who hate us. Might be switching those around. Like how long can one actually maintain that? How long until you finally come to the end of yourself and say, you know what, forget it. Like they hate us, all right, let's go to war. And then we, then we begin looking for the Bible verses. We usually say, let me get over to the Old Testament. I think I remember a verse in here someplace where, and, and our heart begins to get hard. Let me read to you guys. Um, this is actually from one of the other gospels, but this is so relevant. Jesus says, according to Matthew, in the 24th chapter of Matthew, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, not love one another, but start hating one another. And many false prophets will arise, like false teachers, like really bad Bible teachers who are like messing it up for everyone else. They'll arise and lead many astray. And verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The love of many will grow cold. How do we keep loving our enemies in the middle of a battlefield? We're called to be medics, not pacifists. We're called to rush the front line with healing hands, prepared to bless our enemies, even if it costs us our lives. But how do we stay healers? How do we keep loving in the middle of a battlefield where it feels like there's this constant pressure where I'm doing good and I'm loving and I'm trying and I'm, I don't have it all figured out, but Lord, help us, we're, we're trying. And instead of being thanked or appreciated or affirmed, we're hated. And lawlessness increases all the more. How do we do this? How do we keep loving well? How do we endure to the end? How do we keep our hearts soft so that we keep loving like Jesus? Elsewhere in John, in the upper room discourse, we're told that uh, it was in John 13, just after he finished washing their feet, and it says, and Jesus loved them to the end. 
even after he was betrayed, even after all of his friends who had all swore, I'm for you, Jesus, to the end, I'll never betray you, they all betrayed him. And he loved them to the end. You know, when Jesus was crucified, we're told that he was crucified with two others, two criminals, one on either side of them. One of them actually, right there, like in the moment, started hurling insults at Jesus, shouting at him, accusing, you saved others, why don't you save yourself and us? Like ridiculing him, hating him, right there in the moment. The other one, he was like, dude, shut up. What is wrong with you? We deserve this. He did nothing. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus turns to him and he says, you'll be with me today. You'll be with me in paradise. How do we keep our hearts soft? Here's one thing. It's probably a thousand things, but here's one thing for sure. In a world where we can feel like we're taking up our cross right in the middle of like these two worlds where one is just hurling insults who are actually like enraged at our sacrificial love, who are enraged at the cruciform life. It does something to their hearts. I, I've been there, I know, I know the feeling when my heart gets a little exposed and my motives are called into question. How dare you? Oh, wait, you're God, yes, you dare. You dare, because you know. How do we keep our hearts soft in that place? Well, Jesus didn't have much to say to the one who was accusing him, shouting at him, mocking him. But when the other said, Jesus, will you remember me? He turned to that man. You find yourself in that, that place where you're trying to do good and then you get robbed. You can either obsess over all of the evil that's being done. You can either engage and retaliate and give all of your attention and your affection and your vision and your prayers and your emotions to all that's going wrong in the world and all that's being done unjustly to you or you can turn your attention to the hurting one and say, what, what can I do for you? Guys, in this world where we're called to love people who might very well turn around and hate us, we would do well to give our attention to the hurting, not retaliate and engage in an unending battle with violent people who want, who want nothing to do with Jesus, who see what's on offer and says, no thank you, I like my tower. I'm gonna build my own kingdom and I will decide who I am and how I'm going to live. I effectively will be my God. And that's an option. There are those out there who say, Lord Jesus, is there a place for me? in your family? Will you remember me? Am I memorable at all? Do you care about me? And Jesus would turn and give his attention to that person. We would do well to follow. Give your attention to the hurting people around you. 
We don't ignore those who would lash out and slander the gospel and, 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 and lie and do awful things. We don't just ignore injustice, but we can get drawn into these like violent interactions where all of our attention goes to like just fighting people. We pray these hopeless prayers of frustration and gloom, forgetting that there's someone dying right next to me who's crying out, Lord, is there room for me in your family? Don't overlook the hurting people because the angry people want to draw you into some sort of battle. Remember, you too were once there. In a moment, we're gonna take communion. How do we keep our hearts soft? Remember where you came from. It's a simple um, exercise in humility. Sometimes I will have this random thought. Think to myself, when was the last time I had a moment and confessed my sin to another and said, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. That was wrong of me to say that. I mean, technically I was right, but I was so wrong. That wasn't from your heart. That didn't come out of a place of love. I was just a little annoyed. I had my aim all wrong. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I remember being there. I remember thinking I had it all figured out. I remember desperately trying to hide, and cover up because of the shame that just riddled my life. I remember that little tower I was so desperate to build and how you so lovingly came along and exposed all of my insecurity and pride. I remember being there. And when we confess our sins to one another, when we can actually practice a lifestyle of repentance, admitting that, oh yeah, I'm, I still got a long ways to go. The Apostle Paul, the great apostle who said some really, really bold things in the name of love, Towards the very end of his ministry, he started saying things like, here's a true and trustworthy saying, old man locked up in prison, here's something to hold on to. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. There's some wisdom from an old saint. Chief, I remember, I remember being there. That'll soften the heart real quick. And lastly, can I invite our worship team to join me up front, please? Can we stand together? Hmm. Lastly, perhaps most importantly, as so we uh sort of navigate through this tension of loving people sacrificially and realizing there's gonna be some rather sort of emotional, explosive reaction. 
to this great mission that Jesus invites us on. We're never given license to treat people like trash. Be surprised every once in a while. Just check your hand. Check your hand. Open your hand. Look at it. You might just find a rock in your hand. How long have you been carrying that around? Drop your rock, man. Drop your rock. Jesus is the savior of sinners and the enemy of those who carry stones. You do not want to be found to be opposing God. Remember where you came from. You too were once a child of wrath. By nature, a child of wrath. Remember, you're no better than anyone next to you or out there in the world. And finally, stay close to Jesus. The only way to do this, the only way to perfect our aim, the only way to actually like navigate the impossible paradoxical tension of speaking and living out truth in love is by staying really, really close to Jesus. There's not a black and white manual. We've got the scriptures. It's mostly black and white and a little red. But the idea isn't like, here's your manual, just memorize it and you'll be good. No, no, what it tells you, if you get to the very end, it ends with this epic prayer, Lord Jesus, come. There it is, there's your instructions. Lord Jesus, come. Oh, and please, okay, let me qualify that. Let me qualify that. The Bible does say some very clear things about sexual ethics, we mentioned that earlier, about greed, there's a lot about that. About, you know, real life stuff. Jesus talks about marriage. I mean, you talk about things that like, will it, like get people hating you. Oh, it's this stuff there. Jesus does not mince his words. But at the end of the day, if we're not close to the heart of Jesus, we will always weaponize truth. We will always begin pointing out the splinter in another's eyes. It's, it's just the, the human way. But if we stay close to Jesus, he helps us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us his heart. Which is why, by the way, and I'll just end here. This fall, I said this last week, but this fall, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna try somehow as a church family to, to, to spend a season I don't know for how long, I don't have all the details, but I just know God is saying, Grace City, come be with me. Spend time in my presence. Pray, worship, meditate on my word. This is a season to draw near to Jesus. He wants to give us more of his heart. So that when we are hated by the world, it's for all the right reasons. Not because the Christians are being hypocrites or the Christians are being bigots or the Christians are fill in the blank, all of the million and one different reasons the world has to hate Christians. No, no, no. Lord Jesus, give us your heart so that we can love like you love, so that we can be a prophetic people shining like light into dark places. 
Some will hate you and rail at you as they die without you. Others will say, well, Jesus is their place for me and your family. And that's what we want to be a part of. Now we're going to take communion. And this is actually one of my favorite ways that we remember. Jesus commanded us. Take the bread and the wine or the juice. Eat it, drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. What I've done for you. Jesus doesn't just expose our sin. He dies for us. He did something about it. He doesn't just point out our self-centered motivations. He exposes the heart and then he says, now come to me and I will give you new life. I'll give you a new heart. And when we receive communion, it's our way of saying, yes, Jesus, thank you. I'm a chief among sinners and I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to give me a new heart. Thank you for dying for me. We take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we eat it. We receive new life. So if you'd like to be a part of that this morning, then I welcome you.